Welcome to the Voice of Aged Care podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Julie Badgick Smith, Aged Care Psychology Consultant. I bring my background in psychology, clinical experience, and latest research to this podcast, which is shared in stories, strategies, and solutions to the widely underestimated problem of isolation and loneliness in late life. I truly believe that supporting well-being of our elders is a shared responsibility and that we can help the older person achieve better outcomes for their well-being and do our best by being our best and looking after ourselves. I'm glad you're here. Hey friends, welcome to another episode of Voice of Aged Care. Today I'm going to talk to you about death and dying topic that comes up quite often in in my work and in questions submitted about workshops and future podcast episodes. So I wanted to tackle it in, in this episode and to talk to you about why it can be difficult to have difficult conversations about death and dying, the fears that might be holding us back from saying goodbye. I also want to cover um, a sentence that we must stop using when we are supporting families. I'll also give you some strategies and sentence structures that can help and be more helpful, as well as how we can process our own workplace grief and loss. And last, I wanted to talk talk to you about an affirmation that has really helped me and changed my view about death and dying and probably um, changed my life as well. So I remember a long time ago, this was probably more than more than a decade ago, I I was supporting this lady. um, She was a younger lady, as in like she wasn't an aged care resident in terms of, you know, her age wasn't, she was in her 60s, you know, not not in her 80s. And she she had brain cancer and she lived in, in a home and, you know, as her health deteriorated, she was moved into a residential aged care facility. She was only there for about 10 days or so. And so... Why I'm bringing this up and what, what I remember quite clearly about this story is that the family had a really hard time recognising that their mum was dying, that her health had deteriorated so much. They asked me to come and see mum. They said she just moved into residential aged care and that she's so depressed and so down and she's not able to you know snap out of it. And so I, instead of, you know, going to see her at her house where I used to see her for her depression and anxiety, I went and visited her in residential aged care and she, she, she recognized me and she was laying in bed and she was, she was finding it difficult to communicate with me. And so I knew that this lady was approaching end of her life. I knew that her brain tumor was causing her so much discomfort and function and ability to to live that it was incurable and that despite having had you know a number of surgeries in the past she was at, at final stages of her life and I I very briefly you know spoke with her made sure that she was okay but then I asked family to to come outside and have a word with me and I just basically explained to them that mum was dying and it was really hard it was a very hard conversation to have um, I'm not a medical doctor, but I could tell that, you know, this lady was not doing well. And it was, you know, the, the terminology from the family, oh, mum's, you know, she needs to snap out of it. She's so depressed. She's so down in dumps. 
this was a totally different case. It was not about being depressed. It was about being in palliative care and being in final stage of of living. And so, you know, she only lived another day or two after that before she passed away. But for the family, it was really, really hard to recognize that those symptoms that she had were not withdrawal. They were not depression. They were not apathy. It was just that this lady had reached the end of her life. So I I learned a lot from that experience and I learned a lot, you know, how to communicate with families and how to support a person in, in the last days of their lives. But more so than anything, I learned that, you know, death and dying can be a very uncomfortable conversation to have with someone. And, you know, even though now, you know, I say, well, you know, how – how do we go and how do we go about saying goodbye? I know that it can be so, so challenging. Um, and those difficult conversations can really impact our work and it, and, and person dying in, in within, you know, our workplace can be, you know, can trigger dr- grief and loss in ourselves as well. Okay, so there's so much to cover in this episode. So I'll start off firstly by talking about... Um, grief in, in, in general. So grief is natural, even if someone dies and lives till they're, you know, 100 years old. Death does not break the bond of love. And when physical life ends, it doesn't signal that the end of the love we have for that person or the love that they've had for us has ended. Love doesn't just cease to exist. And you want to automatically forget what it felt like to receive their love. So you can't ever entirely prepare for someone's death even if they live to 99. It's not possible for families to know the processes, um, you know, that happen uh, immediately after someone passes away. There might be difficult family interactions, engagement. You know, you, you could have some children who have perhaps been estranged and are not actively involved in the other person's life. So, you know, they might come on a scene after someone passes away. There's so many elements to it as well. And I think for those who, who work in aged care, they, the reality is, is that it can be quite challenging to process your own emotions, to support the families, and at the same time to think, okay, right, um, you know, someone else is going to be moving into this room. We need to in- gently encourage the family to pack up this person's personal belongings. Because we could be away for a week or so from a facility and then come back. And, you know, there's another name on that door. And I remember just earlier this week I was in a facility and this lady used to live in in this specific room and I just suddenly saw someone else's name on it. And I'm like, oh! What happened there? And they said, oh, yeah, no, she died. She died a few months ago. So I just happened not to have gone past that um, part of the facility where she lived. And so I didn't even know that she died. And this is someone that I knew when she first moved into the facility. You know, she's been there for quite a long time. And I, you know, I feel quite sad myself just thinking, how sad is it that, you know, she's she's passed away. She's no longer here. And I also then, you know, had thoughts about, you know, some of my conversations with her early on about how, you know, she didn't identify with the significant brain injury that she sustained as part of her stroke, you know, having um, impaired speech, having no mobility and how much she was really suffering in a way in, 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 in her status post-stroke and how much courage it took for her to, you know, face every day and the challenges and 
and and be open to receiving the support that she needed. So I didn't know that she passed away. No one communicated that with me, which is okay because, you know, she's not my active client and, you know, I didn't hear from the family and I didn't know when the funeral happened. But getting that sense of closure, I still felt that there was something that I needed to do to process that death myself. So I wrote her a letter. And this doesn't mean I'm going to send it to anyone or do anything, but just for me to get my own closure about, you know, this lady dying, I needed to process it in my own way as well. So I think the bottom line is, is that there's different methods and there's different strategies that you can use in dealing with death and dying. And what I'm going to share with you today might not entirely like click with you. You might go, well, no, I don't do that. I do some craft. I do something, you know, different. Why would I write a letter to a client who's passed away? There's different ways that we process things and we're not all the same. And I think it's just important to note that um, it's okay to do it your own way. But I think even though we might have different approaches to death and dying, we still need to have some processes in place for ourselves so that we um, engage those rituals and know how to help us deal and cope at that point of time. So when it comes to the fears holding us back from saying goodbye to um, a person who's who's passing away, the, the fear could be really not knowing when is the last conversation that you might have with that person. And even for those who are in palliative care whose health is deteriorating, um, you know, day by day or it's stable or they, you know, haven't advanced from one stage to another, it, it's really difficult to know when are they going to pass away and when is your last conversation going to be. And when you're supporting families, you know, what kind of advice and, and support could you be giving them? How, how do we know? You know, we don't really have a crystal ball to say, oh, you know, this person's going to live for another three months or three days or three hours. It's really difficult to know. And I think that that uncertainty um, is something that could be holding us back. And it's same, you know, when when babies are born, we don't really know when they're going to come. Even if you have, you know, scheduled C-section, it might not be exactly when you think it'd be that day, but we don't know exactly when the child will be born. So it, death is in the same way too. It's got its own timing and it's, it's really hard to know when a person would be passing away. So the first example that I brought earlier about, you know, the lady who passed with brain tumour, it was quite obvious that, you know, she was slipping in and out of consciousness. She was very poorly orientated to her um, surroundings. And it was quite obvious that she found it very difficult to maintain, you know, any eye contact. She stopped eating for three days. So it was quite obvious that she was, you know, approaching end of life for me. But for the family, um, it wasn't as familiar because they hadn't been around people who who were end stages of their lives before. So that was unfamiliar to them. And there were so many children and, you know, spouses, and there were so many people coming in and out of the room and, you know, thinking, oh, this lady can just, you know, snap out of it, she'll be fine, that they just simply didn't see what was happening. For me as an outsider coming in, it was quite evident to see what was going on. But for them, it was difficult to process that. And then after they spoke to me, they're like, oh, maybe, you know, um, we should get, um, you know, my brother to come over because he's at work today. I think he didn't realize mum is as bad as she is. So just putting it into that context, you know, about what, what, what went through in that specific scenario is not realistically what happens in other ones. Sometimes a person can pass away very suddenly, even though, you know, they're aged and, you know, they might be in poor health. Their, their death can still come as being 
surprising and it can really create a range of emotions in the family and staff. You know, there could be an incident where um, they pass away quite quickly after that or there could be a a person who's been in palliative care for a long time and then suddenly their health status has deteriorated. So there are so many different uh, factors that could happen and I think that that in itself makes it really difficult to know what to say and what to say it. So the sentence that I really want us to stop using when we're supporting families is starting off by saying at least. These types of sentences usually aren't the ones that bring comfort to the person who's grieving. So, you know, I can't say, oh, at least they weren't sick for, you know, uh, more than a week or at least they're at peace now. At least it doesn't really work as well. So start off instead by using sentences such as, this is hard, this is really hard on you, or I'm here for you, so that you are actually there in the moment with the person, letting them express to you how they're feeling. If someone lived to an old age, people might say that their death is part of natural order of things, but it doesn't mean that the grief still can't be raw and shocking. So, you know, even think asking uh, questions like, do you want to talk about Mary or do you want to talk about Fred and see what memories they bring up? Often I find when I ask questions like that, that they don't necessarily talk about the process of that person dying, but they talk more so about them living, the memories that they shared when that person was alive, um, reminiscing about past events, adventures, traveling. It's really about the, the moment that the person passed away and that um, death itself that needs to be discussed in detail. So showing the person some interest in who, they, who the deceased person was, their name, and what they were like as a person, acknowledging that you can see how much this loss means to you and the, the, the bereaved person, you know, if you knew the person, you can share about the impact of the loss on you, on you as well. And you can ask them about their favorite memories and how life is different for them now. You can ask to see photos or try, you know, trying to avoid talking about your own losses as such. You can't, you know, the, the other strategy that we try, want to try and avoid and saying it's like, oh, yes, I know, you know, I lost my auntie. Oh, yes, I know, I lost such and such. It's really hard with that relatability doesn't really help the person who's going through the, the bereaved um, process. So we need to think about how we can help them more by acknowledging the impact that the loss has had on them and how how we can best support them. So even saying things like, you know, what would be helpful for you at the moment? Would you like to talk about dad? Would you like to talk about mum? Would you like to talk about auntie or whatever? Doesn't mean that, you know, it will turn into a prolonged counselling session and, you know, where you may feel out of depth if that's not your area of expertise. But just bringing these conversations to the table might make the other person feel more comfortable about the process they're going through themselves. So as I said, I start avoiding using sentences at least because they're not going to bring the comfort and start with, this is hard, acknowledge it. This is hard. I'm here for you. I'm here for you if you need support. I know it's hard and I, I can imagine, I can't even imagine how difficult this, this must be for you right now. Do you want to talk about X, Y, Z? Or it is natural to feel overwhelmed. It's natural to feel 
that you feel range of emotions. It's natural to feel sad. It, 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 this is a difficult time. This is really difficult. And I'm here for you. And, you know, the important part is at that stage how you manage your own loss and, and, and grief process in, in the passing of that person if you knew them personally as well. So I always like to separate that from what we talk to families and not use our interactions with families to process our own grief and loss. And that, that helps us maintain those professional boundaries and it also helps us with the process ourselves in terms of how we get closure around the person passing away and, and you know, a new, new client coming on board and feeling that we've reset that energy flow within our own bodies and our own capabilities in terms of, you know, how we support supporting clients. So it doesn't matter if you work in residential care setting or in the community settings, you, how you balance your own energy flow can really um, be important as well. So what I wanted to talk to you now about is, you know, the, I know that we've spoken about it before in other episodes, but I wanted to talk to you about how to process your own workplace grief and loss and also touch a bit about an information that's changed my life. So as I said, it's your way, how you process grief and loss. I'm not going to tell it to you, you, you need to do this X, Y, Z. But I, you know, I, I think that it's still important for you to consider how you're going to get closure around that death. And for some people, you know, they've said, oh, Julie, but I deal so much with death and dying. I'm totally fine. I don't need any, to change anything. You know, is it normal that I don't feel sad if the client dies? Um, you know, it, it's every death will affect you differently. With some, you might be totally fine and you say, look, um, that person wasn't doing well. Their death, you know, was expected. I feel okay about it. But some of them can come as a, as a surprise to you. And it's not necessarily about how predictable it was that the person was pa passing away. It's more so about your connection with that person um, and what that relationship meant to you. So naturally, you may be more connected to some clients than others. So keeping that in mind can be quite beneficial in you thinking, well, this is not always going to be this difficult. If you're new to aged care, experiencing your first client passing away in front of you will probably be something that stays with you for a while. And I know I spoke earlier about, you know, a couple of my first experiences in aged care of a client passing away whilst I was in the room with them was at the time when I was pregnant. Both times I was pregnant, um, both pregnancies, I, I had um, experiences of, you know, s sitting, holding someone's hand and at the same time feeling, you know, baby kicking in my tummy. And it was it was quite an amazing experience um, to go through, and I feel so privileged to have experienced it. But certainly, I don't sit routinely. Um, I'm not a death doula. I don't sit routinely with people as they're approaching the end of their lives. And so I still get impacted by clients passing away, and I have my own ways and rituals that I do and how I deal with workplace grief and loss and, and doing a lot of um, trauma and critical incident work as well supporting those who are impacted by sudden deaths. Um, th there's a way that I would describe and support those people as well in terms of how they can get closure around, you know, witnessing something fairly traumatic. So in my grief, I've changed. And that is the affirmation that I use to help me process death and dying. And I think that what I mean that by the statement in my grief, I have changed is that 
I feel that the workplace grief and loss that I've experienced, particularly around a handful of people who've passed away, who I've learned a lot from and with whom I've had, you know, professional connection, but one that really guided me in in a way uh, around, you know, choosing to do a PhD. You know, I, I knew uh, an old um, retired psychology professor and, um, you know, she was like, you know, you need to go back to uni and do your PhD. And, you know, that was something that, like, I think that that, that connection that I had with her really changed me and made me more educated. And, you know, another connection that I had with another client who was really good into um, nature and and birds and painting scenery. You know, that connection I had with that person um, increased my mindfulness. And then another one who, you know, I had this gentleman who was always so kind and no matter how he felt on a day, he always gave so many compliments to others around him. And he was just epitome of, of kindness. And I think that through that grief, I've learned to become more kind. So when you're grieving, it, it is sometimes difficult to remember that you're no longer the same person as before. And that applies, you know, if you've lost your own loved one or if you in through the workplace as well, if you've lost those connections with people that you felt close to. And so for families who've lost their loved ones, a lot of those losses come with change and change in their routine, change in their activities. But even for you, you know, like if you if you worked with someone for a long time and you go down the corridor and you know that a person is always in room 113, for example, there's a change in a routine because that, if that person passed away, you're not going to go flying to that door and going, hey, what have you knitted today? Because it could be a male resident who's not into that at all. He's into fishing. So it changes it changes you and the death and passing of someone will result in a change. When someone close to you dies, your roles at the home change, as does your identity as well. Some people may tell you that things will go back to normal in time or that everything will be fine. And this is why I'm always, you know, saying and avoiding saying to families, you know, um, I know what it's like. You know, I know you don't know about their relationship. It's really quite a, um, a big statement to say and, and, and bringing up your own personal losses will not help them process what they're going through. So the reality is that, you know, you, the, the person will have a new normal waiting for them at the end of their grieving process. And although everything will turn out fine long term, things will no longer be the same for them. Workplace grief and loss will change you. You will become a different version of your old self. And that change that you may experience could be to make you more mindful, kinder, more educated, more insightful, more understanding. And for that, I think um, it, you know, I feel so, so honored to have met so many inspirational people. Um, you know, who are no longer here with us, but I, I take um, with such pride the, the experiences and memories that they shared with me when, um, when they were alive. And I, I encourage you to also reflect on your own processing of, of death and dying within, um, you know, within workplace and personally and your routines and your habits 
in how you go about it. I'm not saying that you need to go out there and, you know, attend every funeral, do every memorial, do every... But, you know, it could be quiet things that you do yourself at home when no one is around or when people might not even notice around you what you're doing. You know, if you just light a candle, then be, well, what, what what are you doing that for? Or, you know, picking some flowers. Oh, what's what's that all about? So you can do things internally that give you that sense of peace and closure without the outer world really knowing of the impact and significance that it's had on you. That's it for today. Thank you for listening to this episode and I'll speak with you all soon. Bye. Well, that is another episode of The Voice of Age Care done and dusted. Make sure you don't miss out when I release another episode by becoming a subscriber on your app of choice. And if you can, please leave a review too. I'd love to know what you think of the podcast and what you'd like to hear in the future. Now, the next thing you need to do is go straight over to wisecare.com.au forward slash resources and check out my latest resources you can download for free. It could be a book chapter, 20 strategies to boost engagement with elders, or my most popular resource, 5 Facts About Me worksheet. You'll be sure to find them all there, wisecare.com.au forward slash resources. I'll see you at the next episode.